we're starting a new series entitled Relationship Goals. And uh, this series is going to help you. I don't know how long it's going to go. I've got about five sermons in me, but we could easily go six or seven or eight or nine or ten. Just depends how jacked up everybody is, all right? It depends how much help we all need. So we're going to take it week by week. <laughs> we're going to take it week by week, and we're going to see uh, what the Lord would do. Um, I believe this series is going to change your life. I believe this series is going to change your life. I, I couldn't wait to preach it in the fall. I, I planned on doing this series in October. I couldn't wait because I believe our church needs it right here, right now. This is the perfect series to invite friends and family to. It's a perfect series to invite people who aren't even Christians because I really do believe that it's going to help you. So what I'm going to do is over the next 10 minutes, I'm going to share a little bit of foundation around what <clears throat> we're going to be talking about and the importance of it. And then we're going to get into today's topic. And then we're going to pray and we're going to get out of here and we're going to find a swimming pool in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone says, aren't you hot in that sweatshirt? Yes. <laughs> but I look cool, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> this is for your benefit. <laughs> you don't want me preaching in a tank top, I promise you that. So. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, speak to us, I pray, over these next few weeks. I thank you for all that you're going to say to us, all that you're saying to us. I thank you for where you're taking us, and I give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 From the beginning, right from the beginning, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is not a marriage scripture. This is a life scripture. This is a friendship scripture. This is a family scripture. This is a relationship scripture. God said, this thing won't work by yourself. And if God said that before the fall, if God said that before sin, if God said that before the serpent, if God said that before Satan was loosed in the earth, if God looked at Adam in perfect fellowship with him in a perfect place called Eden, if God said in that place, it is not good for man to be alone, how much more today do we need each other? This is the cry of God's heart. God, God knows that you cannot do what he's calling you to do alone. It is not good. For seven days, God is creating the earth and he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. But after a few days, he looks at Adam and he says, wait, this is not good. He, he must have companionship. He must have friendship. It wasn't just about finding a wife for Adam. It was about finding a helpmate. It was about, it was about the help that God knew Adam was going to need to fulfill his destiny. And in the same way, you need help. Everybody say, I need help. Yeah. And so it's not just the spouse it's the call of the creator to his creation. From the beginning, God desired for us to walk together. Relationships are a part of God's master plan for our lives. You are better with others. We are better together. And when God saved you, and when God saved me, he saved us into the family. 
So he didn't save a Christian to be a Christian by themselves. He saved you and he brought you into the family. He is our father and we are now brothers and sisters. It was never God's plan for a Christian to live on YouTube alone. Man does not live on podcast alone. Man does not live on just me and my Bible alone. He said, he said it is not good for you to be alone. And now, now listen, I believe in this statement, uh, a statement that you might say and I might say something like this, all I need is Jesus. And, and that's true. But, but all you need is Jesus and everything Jesus said you need. I just need Jesus. I got, G- I got Jesus. That's all I need. That's true. But now he gets to define your needs. And the one who is all you need said, you need more than just me. Because how would you ever even know if your faith is real until it's put to the test? Oh, I got, oh man, I got peace until you have to deal with drama. Oh, I got self-control until you meet someone who's really fine. Of course you got self-control if you're all alone. Oh, I'm super patient until God gives you a child. Oh, I'm really gracious until you marry that person that told you they were perfect and you believed it because in six months they don't have to see nothing. And then you get married and you see things and smell things and hear things and observe things that you didn't know were. (laughs) So not only do I need you, but I also need you because you're working on my character. Look how God said Ecclesiastes chapter four, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person fails, the other person can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. This is a marriage scripture right there. Okay, let's keep moving. But how can you be warm alone? And for all the single people like, see, I just, I'm just, no, you live in Vegas. You're fine. Okay, let's keep going. Just turn off the AC. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So a personal relationship with God leads to life-giving relationships with people. And I question your relationship with, this is how John said it, 1 John chapter 4. I question your relationship with the God that you cannot see if you can't love your brother that you can see. This is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to bring us together. It is not good for you to be alone. You've got to find, and this is, this is my, my prayer over this series, that you find friendships, that your marriage gets closer, that, that you start walking with the right people. This is, this is what I'm believing God for over the next uh, few weeks or months or however long we 
go on this conversation. I want, I want you to find people that can help you. I want to find people that can fight with you and not just fight you. I want, to, I, want to find, I want you to find people that will defend you and love you and that I want to teach you how to be a good friend. I want to teach you how to be a better spouse. I want to, I want to teach you how to date the right way and in a way that honors God. So we're going to talk about a lot of things, but, but we, before we even get to some of those really practical things, I want to talk about our heart a little bit over the next few weeks. And so we're going to have a little heart check, okay? And these messages are not uh, they're, they're not going to be heavy, but they're going to be challenging because if our heart is not right, it doesn't matter how good of a person you're in a relationship with. If you're jacked up, you will eventually ruin it. Two halves don't make a whole in the kingdom. <laughs> it takes two healed and whole people for a marriage to work, for a friendship to work, for relationships to work. And maybe the reason that you go from church to church and maybe the reason you go from person to person and friend to friend and spouse to spouse, and I'm not judging you, but maybe there's something in here that God needs to deal with because maybe, just maybe, and I'm not talking to anybody, I'm closing my eyes when I say it, but maybe you are the common denominator. So let's let God deal with us deeply so that we can walk in the fullness of what he has for us. And see, and if you don't get this right, you'll do the same thing Adam and Eve did. As soon as they sinned, the first thing that happened is they were shamed and they wanted to clothe themselves. The next thing that happens is they blamed. God said, who told you you were naked? Well, like the girl, the, the woman, you gave me. Her. And then what happens? They have children, Cain and Abel. There's conflict. Because from the, here's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants to separate. This is why Jesus said what God has joined together. Let no man separate. So the enemy is trying to divide us. We are in a divided nation. Churches are divided. We would no doubt be one of the most multicultural churches in the city, and we're not even close to where I want to be in this thing, because, because usually the most segregated hour of the week in America is Sunday morning. By far, it's still white church, black church, Hispanic church, Korean church. That's still where it is in America. And I, I believe that we are better together. We're stronger together. And, and we will only do what God has called us to do if we come together. Go ahead and give God some praise. I... So here's, here's, the, here's the question on the, on the screen. Who is my neighbor? This is where it's all going to start. Who is my neighbor? Jesus begins to tell this story. Look at this. In Luke chapter 10, one day an expert of the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him the question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law of Moses say? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Look what he says. He says, right. He says, I agree. Totally. You got it right, Jesus. But... Um, Who's my neighbor? <laughs> uh, who, 
who is my neighbor? And the man asked this because he wanted to justify his actions. So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man, highlight that in your Bible if you can, or take a note of it, do something. A Jewish man, this was a Jewish man, and now Jesus says a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, left him half dead beside the road, and by chance, a priest came along. Now, as soon as he said that, the religious leader went, oh, good, okay, the priest is going to help. Awesome. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. But then a temple assistant, a Levi, came, and what did he do? He walked, looked at him lying there, and he passed to the other side as well. Then... A despised Samaritan. If you're taking notes, you just got to know this today. Every person in this room has a despised Samaritan in their life. Okay? So just, just get ready for that. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, he bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, well, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. Let me give you three things from this story. It is easy to love on our terms. <laughs> Can I get a little amen? I know, I know it went quiet in here because this story's already stepping on our toes. But isn't it so true? It's easy to love on our own terms. It's easy to love what we have defined as lovable. The man says, hey, I'm good with loving my neighbor as long as I get to define my neighbor. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with loving those who are like you. Just recognize that is an immature form of love. Yeah. That's why when you first get married, you say, I'm in love. No, you're really in agreement. You don't know love yet because you, you, you haven't had to go through a storm yet. You're in, you lo- that feeling you feel is the feeling of agreement. Because if all else fails, you're young, dumb, and you can just have a lot of sex. <laughs> oh, I really love her. Oh, homie. You love the feeling of the agreement that you're in right now. Oh man, it got quieter than I was expecting. That's okay. So I'm not really sure we can even go any further till we first define love. First Corinthians chapter 13. This is not for weddings. This is for real life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Ooh. I got you, girl. You always. 
Okay. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So let me talk to any couple in here right now, and you, you would say, I, I, I've fallen out of love. You, you can't. You can't fall out of love, but you can stop doing the things you used to do. Keep that up for a second. You might not feel what you felt 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, but you can start doing what you used to do, open the door for her. All right, ladies, wear some lingerie. All right, guys, help clean the house. I love whoever this is shouting me down. Go on a date. You can start doing what you used to do. The feelings will follow. So you might say, well, I'm no longer in love with him. But have you lost the ability to be patient, to be kind, to celebrate, to be humble, to honor, to forgive, to protect, to hope, to trust, to persevere? If you still have the ability to do those things, you can still be in love. Because love is not an emotion. Love is an action. And the actions, and I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. We're going to talk about this in our marriage talks later on in, in about a month. So go take a sigh of relief, okay? I ain't going to beat you up every week about this. We'll get to marriage later. But, but love is an, is an action, and emotions follow the actions. But actions will never follow emotion. So it's easy to love on our own terms, but Jesus is calling us to a God kind of love. He's calling us to a sacrificial love. He's calling us to love in action, and this is for every relationship that you currently have. So who is my neighbor? Number two, the call of Jesus is to love everyone. The call of Jesus is to love everyone. Let me me say this. Jesus used the Jewish man's number one enemy to define love. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. It, it, was, it was a race war on a whole nother level. The Samaritans were a group that were half Jewish, half Gentile. The Jews looked at them and did not like who they were, what they stood for, their beliefs. So it was, it, was, it was race, it was religion, it was ideology, it was culture. I mean, this was, this was a, a 10 of 10. They hated each other. They did not talk to each other. They did not deal with each other. Do you remember that in John 4 when Jesus talks to the Samaritan woman and she goes, why are you talking to me? Because we don't talk. That's why she had so much attitude, because she hated him and she expected him to hate her. This was, this was a hatred on a level that, and it was justified. It was justified religiously. They, they, they thought they had scripture to justify it. It was justified because of actions. It was justified because of history. They hated each other. And the man says, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, your enemy is your neighbor. 
Say what? Your priest failed. The Levite, the temple assistant, failed. But the despised Samaritan. Let, let, me, let me tell you this big thought. You don't have to agree with someone to love them. And I'm going to take it now a step further. And no matter what they may have done to you, you can still find value in them. I know a man who had a dad, he's in ministry today. He, he pastors a massive church in the Northwest. He is literally going around the world preaching the gospel. He's making such an impact. And his dad is a deadbeat dad. He left him. He, he doesn't know him. He just all this stuff, left the family. And my friend said, you know, I still honor my dad. I said, how do you honor your dad? He said, I still honor my dad because without my dad, I'm not here. See, sometimes the same people that wounded you are also responsible for helping you And this is, this is painful because your flesh just wants to focus on the wounds. But you have to be able to also look at what they did for you, even if they did it accidentally. I, I can think of people in my own life. I am, I am where I am today because of them. And yet for some of them, they're the people who have cut me the deepest. And the call of Jesus, maybe not today, but the call of Jesus in my life is eventually for me to be able to honor the good they did, forgive the bad they did, and love them. Pastor Mitch, don't say amen so loud. <laughs> Isn't it true? But, but they cut me, but they were also a part of healing you. Maybe it's an ex-husband or an ex-wife, and, and you hate them, but look at that baby. Am I helping you? See, who is my neighbor? My neighbor is the person God is calling you to love that you don't want to love. Now, here's what I think is amazing. Jesus could have used a Samaritan who got beat up. Think, think about this. Not a Jewish man who got beat up, a Samaritan who got beat up, and the Jewish man was the hero. Does that make sense? And that man, he would have been justified and gone, oh, see, us Jewish people, we're so great. We're always helping even those Samaritans. Jesus used the man's enemy to show goodness so that we would be able to find value even in those we might disagree with. Because see, if he would have used the Samaritan who got beat up and a Jewish man who would have helped him, that man would have stayed in his own sin and his own racism. Then I guess we'll give a helping hand to those people. Jesus says, no, 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 you're those people. 
Let me tell you why, why the call of love is so important. This is, this is gonna hurt, okay? The reason that Jesus calls us to love is because in reality, they're not that bad. And in reality, I'm not that good. So I better be a little more humble. Now you cut me, and it doesn't mean you're coming over for dinner. Doesn't mean we're going to be best friends. Doesn't mean I have you on my phone anymore. Doesn't mean I follow you on the gram. But I love you. Because you know what? I don't know all the reasons you did what you did. And God forbid there's going to be a day that I'm going to hurt somebody. So I better show some grace. And I better walk in love. Because you're not as bad as I think you are. And you're not as bad as the devil tells me you are. And I'm not as good as I think I am. And I'm not as good as the devil tells me I am. So, so, I, gotta, so I gotta love you because when I love you, I walk in humility. Now let me challenge you with something. And I'm not, I've, I've, I've made this commitment from the beginning that we don't talk about politics on Sunday morning because you can go on your phone right now and follow whoever you like to follow about politics. So I'm not, this isn't political, but let me show you this. Every person in this room has an in-group and an out-group. Keep that up for a while. Okay. As a, for me, I'm a musician, uh, mid-30s, make a certain amount of money, preacher, half Mexican, half white, uh, married, children, all of these things, all of these things create for me un unwillingly and in-group. Okay? Don't be offended. You have one too. So I, it's easier for me to connect with a musician. Or it's easier to connect with someone who's in my economic strata because we understand things together at that level. Or it's easier for me to connect with someone who's also married with children. Okay? But now let's go further. What about my political views? My moral views? My religious views? All of those things are creating for me unwillingly. And this is what uh, psychologists tell me. I've, I have an in-group. It's my job to not feel shamed for that because I got one. You have one. I know you're looking at me like you don't. You do. Black people have an in-group. White people have an in-group. Rich people have an in-group. Poor people have an in-group. We have an in-group that because of how we relate with each other, we tell each other we're right. doesn't mean you're a racist. It doesn't mean you're a bigot. It doesn't mean you're a religious fanatic. It doesn't mean you're judgmental. It just means that's in you. And it also means I have an out group who may not look like me, may not think like me, may not talk like me, may not believe like me. I'm putting myself 
under the lights right now. Y'all are so quiet, you're making me uncomfortable, but it's okay. Because this is uncomfortable, but it's true. And you're not wrong for having an in-group, and I'm not wrong for having an in-group because it's just, it just happens. It just happens. If I, see, if I meet someone from New Mexico, we just immediately start talking about green chili. We're not proud of it. It just is what it is. Well, I'm kind of proud, but you know what I mean. And if you meet someone from, from wherever you're from, there's an immediate connection. It's an in-group. The issue is when you give preference and love to your in-group and don't recognize you have an out-group. So all you Republicans who have that red hat in your closet, you need to go to dinner with a Hillary voting Democrat. And you need to find commonality. And all you wonderful Democrats that some of you, like some of my friends who still have pictures of Obama in their living room, (laughs) and place their hand on it every day and say, Lord, bring him back. And they do. They need to go have dinner with a Second Amendment gun carrying, (laughs) beer drinking Republican. And you need to find commonality because they're not as bad as you think they are and you're not as good as you think you are. Just recognize it. Just recognize for all of my Fox people, all of my Fox people, just recognize they've got a script and they've got a story and they've got an agenda. Just recognize it. And if you're a CNN person, just recognize it. They've got a script and they've got a story and they've got an agenda. And I want you to believe whatever you want to believe. And I want, I want you to post about it. I want, I, I'm down with all of it. As long as you don't love your in-group more. Because if you do, you've stepped out of the love of Jesus. And you've stepped into preference. Be gracious enough to say, Maybe they posted that because of their history, because of their experience, because of what they've gone through. And maybe I don't need to just jump on Facebook and tell them why I disagree. Maybe, because some of y'all got machine gun fingers. Just maybe just keep scrolling and say, they're not in my in-group. Bless their heart. Let's keep moving forward. Because it's not, because in a million years, we're not going to care. In-group, out-group. Are y'all with me? I want to help you. Because it's not that big of a deal. And our nation right now, the disunity is heightened. Jesus says, Hey, Jewish man, you need to find value in this. Even a Samaritan can do a good deed. (gasps) 
Democrat, even a Republican can do something good. And some of you are going, uh uh. Hey, Republican, even, even a Democrat can do something good. And I, know, and I know that's hard to get our mind around because the media will not let you believe that. Both sides. And I'm asking you to say, my source is not cable news. My source is God's word. And I care more about my relationship with you than I do about every little view we might have and where we disagree. So I've got an in-group, but here's the call of Jesus. Make that in-group bigger. Widen the in-group until you walk in the fullness of the maturity of Christ where you no longer have an out-group. Is it possible? Oh, it's possible because one day we're going to stand around the throne of God and every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every political party, every culture, every conviction is going to be around the throne of God. And I believe we're going to get around the throne of God. We're all going to be a part of his in-group. And we're, look, we're going to look at the person that we convinced ourselves was evil. And we're going to go, oh, I guess it wasn't that big of a deal. I'm not saying be a doormat and I'm not saying don't have conviction and I'm not saying don't vote. I'm saying don't let those things get in front of love. And if it's in you, you got to get it out of you. If, if you think a certain thing when you look at a black person, you got to get that thing out of you. And if you, if you think a certain thing when you look at a Mexican person, you got to get that thing out of you. And if you think a certain thing when you look at a white person, you got to get that out of you. God, get every little thing of, of in-group, out-group, get it out of me. Because I want to celebrate our difference. Woo. Number three, I got to end. Jesus is our good Samaritan. <laughs> Just imagine a few years of healing, delivering, teaching, preaching, raising of the dead, cleansing of the leper, turning fish into ATM machines, and <laughs> turning a basket of bread into a buffet for 5,000 people. And, and after a few years of this, Jesus' Jewish brothers and sisters say, you're it, you're the Messiah. We finally have a king. We finally have a political leader. We finally will see Rome fall. Because anytime you come to God, you always come to God at first with your own definition of who God should be. And instead, he came as a humble servant. Jorge, you can come up. He came and he spent his time not with the religious elite, but with the sinners. He came and he did not come to overthrow Rome, but he came to save Rome. He did not come 
to take the heads of his enemies. But he came to love his enemies. And, and they couldn't wrap their mind around it because he didn't fit their in-group. He didn't fit their definition of who the Messiah would be. They didn't, they didn't, he didn't fit their mold. And if we're not careful, we will create our own Jesus and we'll miss who he really is because we've created something else in our mind. But I want you to know today, he is good. And if you found yourself beat up by the world, broken by the world, cut by the world, he said, I've got wine and I've got oil to heal your wounds. He said, I'm gonna make sure you're taken care of. And when I come again, I'll make sure you have everything you need. I don't want Jesus to just fit in my little definition of my religious box. I want him to challenge me. I want him to get in my grill. I want him to step on my toes. I want him to turn my heart. I want him to make my stomach turn. I want him to make sweats, sweat fall down from my forehead because I want him to challenge my small little definition of who he is. And instead of me being made in the image of God, I make a God in the image of me. And I just refuse that. Oh, he's so good. Today, you might find yourself on the side of a road. Beat up by sin and beat up by the world and beat up by decisions that you've made and beat up by decisions other people have made. And you're going, I need a healer. I need a savior. Jesus says, I will be your good Samaritan. Samaritan. 